Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au.
3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand. Welcome to Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex, gender or, and on occasions musical genre. We can be pan genre as well. I'm Sally Goldner. I use the pronouns she and her and I'm your host for the hour from noon to one every Sunday. 3CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the Kulin Nation and the overlap of Bunge, uh, um, what, uh, oh goodness, um, um, of various lands. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, of um, and we pay respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello to any Aboriginal and/or Torres Strait Islander people tuning in, whether it is on Wurundjeri or Bunurong lands. Um, and um, or any lands at all, and welcome to um, any list, First Nations listeners all around the world. And we acknowledge that all the lands were stolen and never ceded. Um, and welcome to listeners of all genders, including but not limited to ladies and gentlemen. And there's lots of ways to get in touch with the show, and there's going to be lots to talk about on the show today. If you want to get in touch um, with the show, out of the pan 855 at gmail.com. SMS 61456751215. Tweet at Sal Gold said so, and that's the bottom line. And look for posts on Facebook, um, Out of the Pan 3CR 855 AM Melbourne, and my page Sally Goldner. Remember, any opinions I express on the show are my own. You can also write in if you need to at to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. Now, there will be, um, you know, some topics that may cause people some concern today. So we will acknowledge the numbers for QLife, including Switchboard in Victoria and Tasmania, 1-800-184-527. We have the Family Violence number for queer people, 1-800-542-847. Rainbow Door, 1-800-729-367 or SMS 0480-017-246 because we will cover topics such as family violence, including intimate partner violence, mental health and alcohol and other substances. So um, there is all of that today, but there is there for a reason because I have um, an amazing guest who's waiting on the the Zoom lines to join me to share um, a story. Someone who was on the show, it was over 10 years ago and got in touch with me and well, we're just going to share the story. It is a pleasure to welcome back to the 3CR Airwaves and someone who's been on many shows on 3CR, Kobe Bunny. Kobe, welcome back to Out of the Pan. Thank you. It's like being at home. It's good. <laughs> it is. You, yeah. you know, we were chatting just before you came on and you've been on a number of shows on 3CR for lots of reasons. I mean, you're. Um, I think I might just start by checking in, A, which pronouns you use, I'm going to say, B, which lands you're on, and then C, perhaps describe a little about yourself and as much as you want to about various parts of your identity, because I think that's going to be really relevant. Um, well, I am a he, him, or his. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the land that I'm on at the moment in the Grampians, um, which borderlines Wadawurrung and Woiwurrung, um, and pay respects elders past, present, and future, which is mainly important, emerging. Um, I identify as a queer male. Um, I've been, uh, done a lot of things in the past. I've done, I've been the convener of the Australian Mental Rights and Human Rights Law Reform Coalition, um, convener of Equal Love Ballarat, um, one of the members of Equal Love Melbourne. Um, I've opened the first Pride Centre in, um, Australia, which was in Ballarat, actually, um. I had to do it out of my own money because back then it wasn't an issue mm. that was uh, funded and it wasn't, it was like grassroots, um, I guess. And um, just done a lot of is- campaigning around um, and advocacy and lobbying around issues g- generally around human rights and basically just trying to get word out there. At one stage I was on top of the game as um, a lot of people listening uh, will know and I fell down a slippery slope after uh, and numerous reasons, which we'll discuss during the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like during it's actually Mental Health Awareness Month and Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and it's not spoken about enough, and especially men, the queer community, um, the transgender community, it's just not spoken enough in the mainstream, in the queer community. We have, a, we have like a um, kind of like a 
reputation for a pat on the back, you'll be right, mate, or mm. have a teaspoon of concrete and harden up. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, when someone says something, maybe that's just scratching the surface. But if we dig deeper, um, do you know who's going through something? Literally everyone. So yep. it's about being kind. Absolutely. Let's go back there a bit. So you, you, you mentioned all the great work that you were doing on so many intersectional fronts um, in terms of queer and mental health. And, you know, it all seemed to be, you know, just sort of rolling down the road nicely. Um, where, you know, um, with hindsight, you know, perhaps, you know, was there something that perhaps began, you know, that perhaps started that slippery slope that you mentioned? Um, you know, what happened? Tell us, just dive into a little more detail about that on those sorts of things. Yeah, well, I think um, I'll start by with like with um, how I was doing a lot of stuff and I was doing like, so when I started in um, Melbourne, it was kind of like the ball was rolling in the inner city's uh, bubble, I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I ch- chose to take it back to my hometown in Ballarat, I describe it like a beach and the beach was just like sand and then slowly water started drip, uh, coming in and then it started lapping and then a wave and then I started, started surfing on the wave and then I got knocked off the board kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a thing called cancel culture. Um, I remember one time we done, I organised a Q&A session at the um, Ballarat Trades Hall and someone told me what was going to happen to me and I didn't believe it. I took it with a pinch of salt. Like the, um, and I guess, like, I, in, in a way, I guess in hindsight, it's actually a good thing because I always said my job, is to make my job obsolete. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and um, but at the time it was very hurtful. I was uh, criticised for a lot of different things. Um, the main reason why I resigned as president was um, of the Ballarat Pride Centre was basically because um, I wanted everyone to have a, a children's working with children's check, and I guess that was just um, the base the base thing. But I think there was already some. Um, build up thing behind that and that was just the thing that um caused the argument not an argument it was just like a disagreement with people and saying why and but um I just thought as a president you know it falls back on me um so I just chose to step back um but then I got a bit of criticism and it was just a bit of so then I kind of got it it really hurt me at the time Mm. um in hindsight like I said um my job was to make my job obsolete and it is and Ballarat's still doing great things and I still watch and I see so many people doing great things and so I'm happy that my job was obsolete um but at the time it was really hurtful um like I spent a lot of money I spent a lot of time um and really it was really hard like I remember being attacked for doing this stuff once people um realized who I was from newspaper articles um in the local media um, someone come at me with a tie iron and tried to attack me. Um, and I went through all that stuff. So just being kind of pushed aside, that kind of hurt. And also, too, being beaten physically, um, beaten down uh, in domestic violence relationships, um, then losing partners. Um, and then I guess everything kind of got on top of me. And there was a bit of burnout there anyway, you know. I can I can understand the burnout. I can understand, we'll say, the divisions and lateral hostility within rainbow communities. Um, yeah. um, our long-suffering listeners have um, heard me talk about that from first-hand perspective on many an occasion. Um, but it just seems, you know, it almost seems so ridiculous. I mean, yeah, you've got to have working with children's checks. It's just got to happen, yet someone objected and you got pushed aside. It just seems I, I was a bit, I felt a bit bewildered when I heard you say that. I don't deny it. It just seems absolutely bizarre that, that sort of thing is where it started, but um... yeah, I think I think there I think there was um, because I was like I said there was a one of the amateur TV hosts that does a lot of things in Ballarat at the moment, and like they told me, and I just took it as a drunk because afterwards after the Q and A we had um, some champagne and that, and mind you, so I I paid for the drunk talk that told me that I was not going to be needed no more. So I think there was underlying things where people were kind of just wanting to go out and do their own thing. And so the platform was there created and they were ready to just uh, kick off and do their own thing. And they have done. And like, like I said, I'm not doing this without, with any um, bad, 
bad reasons or anything like that. I'm doing it with love, not hatred. Um, and I actually really respect what people do in Ballarat still. Um, but there is a bubble there. And um, so, like, the inner city bubble that I talk about, there's kind of like a bubble. So, because it's really accepting there now. Um, but now I've got to, uh, after all the stuff that I've been through, yeah. which we talk, we're going to talk about, yeah. um, now I come up out on top and I'm just a, the newest member on the board, the advisory board of the Grampians Community Health. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, I, look, and I think that everyone needs to hear that, like, no matter how strong you seem, no matter how much media attention you get, like I was named in the top 10 marriage equality activists along with people like Joel Creasley, you know, it was little old me from Ballarat. I couldn't believe it, you know. Um, so at, at, at the time, like, I was up to, up on top and I got knocked down and then knocked down to the bottom. And then, like like I said, it hurt at the time. It hurt for a couple of years because I was reading criticism and it felt like I, I felt like I was being erased. But I, I can't be erased, let's be honest. <laughs> I'm no. a bit too loud for that. Well, yeah, not permanently, you know, yeah, look, um, we, you know, people, you know, have tough times, they get pushed down a bit, um, and I'm not just saying that, um, show, the show's about your, the guests and the listeners, it's not so much about me, but I can just, in, I will put in a personal point here, yeah, I know what it's like, but the thing is, there you were, you were, as you say, surfing along, and then, you know, well, you got a. I'm not a surfing expert. I think it's called a dumper. Came along, um, yeah, maybe yeah. a few, a few in a row, and things started to sort of push downhill, Kobe. Um, you know, sort yeah. of what began to happen. Um, I guess um, you know when you hear something so much, you start to believe it. So mm. um, the main, the, look, the main message is like be kind to each other, but most yep. of all, be kind to yourself. Because I guess I was I started being unkind to myself, and I started. Um, Believing what I was reading, I started um, feeling disappointed in myself. So then I went to drinking alcohol and smoking cannabis. And that was a really slippery slope because that just gave people a bit more ammunition. Um, and then it, it was just like a roll-on effect and it just turned into a cyclone. Um, it was funny because some of the uh, things that I spoke about 10 years ago on the radio show with you when I was um, conducting an independent inquiry for the state government into unexplained deaths in the cycle service system with Gregory Oak mm-hmm. and my former deceased partner who actually committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, Just if people are distressed by that, please contact some of those services we mentioned. Yeah. Yep, but go for it. Yeah, and um, so like <clears throat> the services that we were creating, I end up finding myself using, um, which is ironic, I guess. So I guess people need to know like, okay, you might be, you might be, I might have been on top of the world, I felt, thought, felt like I was on top. I felt like I was doing so much good. But then when it all just stops, it's kind of like, whoa, what happened? Um, but I guess it's like um, what really helped me was zooming out in the end. Like after uh, like drinking alcohol and that was like a Band-Aid um, just because I wanted to forget about it all. And I turned into a, a bit of a, like I would say I had a bit of a, a lot of people following me around everywhere and um, it, everyone started drinking and um, it was just a bit of a party scene and I guess that was a, a feel-good kind of yep. medication. It was like it was, it was like self-medicating kind of thing. Yeah. And I guess um, until I went to the doctors, I didn't realise that. I didn't realise what I was doing and I didn't realise how bad it was getting. And yeah. I seen on Dr. Phil the other day, he put up signs um that of um, alcohol abuse, um, but I got to really um, just say, like, uh, when you're actually in that position, those signs they're all valid and they're all correct. But when you're in there, you make excuses and you don't actually see some of the signs. Um, like there's signs like um, having um, troubles with your relationships with other people. I put it down to okay, there's just a negative thing. Until I got out of it, I didn't see that alcohol was actually a problem. Like. Mm. It was interfering with family relationships. So you might – there might be a textbook, but everyone's different and everyone needs person-sensitive care Absolutely. and a holistic approach. Yeah, and I think um, in my case, like I said, it was self-medicating, but then all of, all of a sudden I used it as an excuse, but then I found myself like um, 
once I reached out for help, I didn't realize how bad I was. The only thing that got me to realize how bad I was drinking was when I went to doctors and a blood test, my liver, um, I'd done a blood test and my liver results came back and they were over a thousand or something. And so I was actually physically killing myself. Yeah. And can I, I'm not a medical expert, but you know, we'll say in a healthier state, where should that, what number should that, would that number be in a better range? That's, that's astronomical. Um, like it was way, way, like the doctor was actually shocked how high it was. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, so then I, I started to try to stop drinking alone and I realized I couldn't do it. Wow. Yep. Yeah. So, so I had to reach out and I had to speak to the doctor and I had to get a referral. And at the start, it was kind of like, oh, I'm doing it. But then I also felt like, all right, I'm doing it for everyone else. But it wasn't until I was in the process that I realized I'm doing it for me. I don't care what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the end, you've got to, every person will say has to live their own life, but in a a way that doesn't harm anyone else, of course, let alone themselves. And you can't have yeah. other people's expectations or pressures, whether you've created them or they've created them on you, because you had to get yourself back to a better place. Absolutely. Yeah, well, there's some things that are in your control and there's some things that are out of your control. So what's in your control is your opinions, your reasons, your actions, um, your reactions. You can't control other people's opinions. You can't c- control other people's thoughts. You can't control um, external factors. All you can do is just try to be your own um, champion, your own cheerleader, I guess. Um, you don't need anyone else to – don't rely on anyone else to give you that support. Rely on yourself is probably another good message to get out there because, you, like, literally, even if you have partners, even if you've got family, but you're going to be the one that lives your whole life with you. You're the only person that's going to live your whole life and know your own story and know your own medication or your own way out. Like, my, the way I – um, got to get off the cannabis and the alcohol would probably be different from a lot of other people. So I can't say, I can tell people what I've done, Please but do. I can't say that that's going to help. Well, yeah, yeah, look, the thing is, every little idea, it could, that could be, this is exactly why we're having this conversation, something that you say could be that difference maker for someone else. So please tell us more about what began to turn these things around so that you began to get to a better space. Um, I guess... So I started, so when I went to the doctor and talk, like we got the liver um, results, um, then we done a referral to a drug and alcohol counsellor. Um, during, it was during COVID and so it was basically phone appointments and the lady I was speaking to for three months or four months, she retired and then I had to go to another one mm-hmm. and that was kind of traumatic in itself. And um, she'll tell you, her name's Katarina at Grampians Community Health and she'll tell you um, that when I first met her, uh, when I first spoke to her, um, she rang me three times and she was actually about to close my case and I answered the phone and just luckily, and I said to her, um, just Google me because like, I didn't want to go and tell that whole story all over again. Yep. Um, but in the end, in the end I did. Um, but I guess, um, cause if I had said to her, I'd done all these things in the past, she probably would have thought I was schizophrenic on top of everything else. Um, because you got someone coming with so much um, alcohol dependency and cannabis dependency, I guess they're going to be thinking, okay, you're saying your stuff, but I don't really believe you, but I'm just going to take it. And she yeah. said that herself. She goes, she was glad that she did because then she was like, oh, okay. She learned more about me from that. And the understanding of me, I guess that, that kind of turned into a relationship building. Um, then I'd done about nine months of, outpatient treatment mm-hmm. um, with her and a nurse. Um, yeah. And that, that involves stuff like, um, and at one point I, I was actually embarrassed about it because I, I keep a journal and I was looking back and we're doing 10 minutes. Okay. So don't start drinking until 12 and then make it extra 10 minutes every week. We'll, and then see if I can go extra five minutes. And yep. like I was, looking, I was looking at the clock, like, um, never before and it was like I was at school again waiting for the school bell to ring <laughs> and <laughs> and so like I look back and I was actually embarrassed about it at one stage but now I can see that was part of the journey yeah um but then when I went into the detox um I had done two stints in an inpatient yep. as an inpatient um and like 
you get taught a lot of life skills and mindfulness and yep. um i've got to be honest like um there's bits that i like about detox there's bits i don't like um i think that's the case with everyone um but um i i was lucky that it only took me so i done detox once for alcohol once for cannabis and both times i went in there with the mindset that that was it like i and when I was in the detox, I would say to myself, I would sit there looking at the building and thinking, I don't want to be here again. Like, I don't want to be coming and doing this again. Mm-hmm. So um, um, so the bad experiences kind of kicked me in the um, backside and made me think maybe, okay, okay. I'm, and I got home and I didn't drink. Um, I was lucky I came back to my family home. And so everything was gone out of the house that was to do with alcohol and anything was gone out of the house to do with cannabis. So I had I had steps in place. Um, I could have went out and done stuff and got back on the drink or got back on the cannabis, but um, it was just it was just a matter of the you know how I was saying I was embarrassed about the um, ten minute breaks and the five yeah. minutes and yep, yeah. stuff like that. But all of that prepared me, kind of it kind of prepared me to get to the point where I stopped. And I remember the day I went to detox for alcohol, um, the nurse had to drive me and there had to be two people in case I went into a seizure. And um, they actually told me, it was, they picked me up at 7.30 and they told me to have a drink before I was actually left. And I was surprised about that, but that was in case I went into a seizure. It could be dangerous while I was driving. Um, but that was my last drink. And I was going to do something like to like do something symbolic, like um, tip all my wine out and all that. But then I thought, no, cause every time I look at the spot where I'm going to tip, where I tipped it out, I'm going to think about it. Good so thinking. then I just ended up. Yeah. So I just actually just let my family throw it all out when I left. And yeah, I, look, I was lucky to have support. And I think that everyone deserves the support and the support's there. But like I said, when people, kind of ask you are you okay how are you doing and they bring up the problems they'll bring up the problem but scratch the surface but they don't dig deeper and if someone if someone cares enough and if you care enough about someone I just encourage people to um, dig a bit deeper and to see what is driving that factor what's 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 that underlying issues Um, Yeah. yeah just dig a bit deeper because everyone's worth it and whoever's listening you're worth it yeah, and having self worth is one good part of stepping forward. Yeah, can I ask you something right there, Kobe? I mean, when you dug deeper, what did you find? What was underneath the surface for you? Yeah, I found um, I found that I was. Do you know, like when you watch a soap opera, um, there, there's a tiny little problem, and they fixate on that for the whole episode. Yeah. So it's like a melodrama. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I, I was re- I was reading in a book one day, and I said, "Turn the melodrama into a melodrama." So I was kind of <laughs> like putting in my head, like every time I'd be thinking about something little, um, I'd be like, "All right, don't sweat the small stuff. Here I go again with days of our lives." And as, like eventually, I started laughing at myself. So at the start, I was forcing myself to do it, but eventually I just start giggling. Like, mm. um, so I turned that melodrama into a melodrama. And there is like um, basic emotions we've all got. I think there's seven, embarrassment, fearful, um, all happy, sad, grief. Um, yeah. And But if you unpack that and there's a, a wheel I might share with you, you might be able to put up on your um, Facebook page, a wheel sure. of emotions, and you can actually um, nice. unpack it to what's the cause of that emotion and then you can relate that cause to uh, an, an event or what's going on and you can unpack it so it's smaller you can make it small a small issue so um you know the cyclone when you've got a hurricane you've got the calm of the storm yeah i try to if i find myself thinking um, bad things i try to put myself into the calm of the storm so i actually physically take a step to the right sometimes and just go into the calm of the storm and kind of just ground myself and just, and then when the storm moves, I just try to uh, move with the storm. Like the indigenous people used to migrate with the weather. I migrate with the weather with the hurricane, but that's inside, uh, inside my head. Fair enough. Wow. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a hell of a journey that you've, you know, sort of managed to leave behind those two substance issues. Um, but, 
And it was hard. Don't get me wrong. That was oh, very God. hard to do. I mean, I mean, even just you know. I mean, people might say, oh, well, the five minutes extra thing. I mean, it, it makes sense. You know, you take a small step. It's, you know, people, let's say someone, very different, somewhat different thing. Someone hasn't exercised for a while, so they do the big news resolution, buy the gym membership. I'm going to go five times a week. No, don't. Yeah. Just go for a walk around the no. block first, then two walks around the block, and then go into yeah. the gym or something. Little steps. <laughs> it's so obvious. Um, but it yeah. obviously worked, and it creates a habit. Um, I'm going to throw yeah. one in here. There's a great book called Atomic Habits, which is about which really explains habits and what to do and what to not do. I'd really recommend it to people for lots of things. Um, and you know, you build a better habit. You've just got to start by taking small steps. So yeah, you, know, you did that. It's, which is it's, hard, it's easy to it's easy to um, think about it. And like I'm like a bull at a gate sometimes, so I had to. Mm. Um, pull myself back and um, so like I'll walk my dog and my actually my dog thinks he's I'm taking him for a walk but he's taking me for a walk of at course. the start most dogs <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I like I started with just doing a block and now I'll do five blocks so I'll walk around the whole town because in this town there's only 500 people um, and that's another thing I want to um, uh, get out there is um, you know like with medications and stuff like that that they give you to get off alcohol or to um, stop the cravings. There's one called naltrexone, and it blocks the cravings from the back of your brain. Yeah. The, it blocks receptors. Um, but then when you're in a remote area, the doctor only comes once a week, and when you have to get the medication, you have to ring in, in advance so they can get the medication to the chemist, or you have to drive to the nearest town, which is a, a quite a way. And if you're drinking and stuff, that's not a good idea. I'm just going exactly. to put that one definitely out there. Definitely. And, yeah. And uh, definitely, even if you're smoking or using any substances, don't drive. I never did, thankfully. Um, and so, like, there is a there is a problem with um, look. And I know the federal government's talking about um, issues like vapes and stuff like that, and trying to get them on prescription. Um, so, like, at the moment, I'm trying to quit smoking. That's the only substance I've got at the moment. But um, they're trying to make it prescription only. So trying to get an appointment with the doctor who only comes once a week is kind of difficult. Yeah. And then getting the medication is kind of difficult. It's not like Melbourne where you can go to a pharmacy down the road and if that's closed, you can go to the one up the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sometimes you have to get stuff posted to you, for example. Yeah. So extra challenges, you know, of, of that intersectionality of, re, of then, re, regional, so in- or remote. Yeah. Yeah, so that brings in you've got to have forward thinking. Um, so um, you've got to make sure, okay, count your medications when you go to the doctors and make sure you, what you you know what you've got. So then you – and make sure you account for that time if you're in a remote area um, or if there's something preventing you from – even if you're in Melbourne or Ballarat or anywhere, uh, Phillip Island, wherever you are, if there's something preventing you from getting there, forward think and so – plan it out so that when you go to the doctors, you can get repeats or um, you can get enough to get you through to the next appointment. So make sure you book your appointment that day for the next time Yep. and make sure. So it's forward thinking. It's called a bit of adulting. <laughs> Think the thing we have do have to do sometimes. So yeah, look, it is really um, you know important to you know to think that through. I'm um, you're on out of the pan on three CR eight five five AM three CR digital three CR dot org dot au. I'm Sally Goldner, your host. Um, I'm chatting with Kobe Bunny. There's other parts to your journey as well, and I've got by total serendipitous coincidence. Um, I'm sitting here with this piece of paper, which is um, a paper called. Tell us what rainbow mob need in family violence services. Um, and this honestly came to me from the great 3CR um, team here. And they said, could you give this a mention on the show this week? This was before we agreed to do the interview yesterday. So ah. the universe can work. Um, it does. Um, so very quickly, just want to mention this. And then I'm going to launch, um, let you say, say why this is relevant to you. Um, Rainbow Mob, who feel family violence needs support services where they feel safe and understood. Um, we want to know what, um, a bit more about what Rainbow Mob need to feel safe and supported by family um, violence services. And PwC Indigenous Consulting and Family Violence Victoria working together to make change. So you can do an online survey. There's a yarning circle or a number of yarning circles. And that's why I want to mention this today. 
Um, so who can participate? You need to, to you need to be a rainbow mob person who has experienced family violence, and we want to make sure that you are safe from FE. And um, so if you're not currently at risk, you can be involved. Now here's the thing: yarning circles um, coming up this week, Melbourne. Um, Monday the 8th of May, if you're listening live, 10.30 to 12.30. Another one in Melbourne, Tuesday 9th of May, 10 to 12.30. Ballarat, Wednesday 10, um, 10th of May, 10 till 12.30. Geelong, Thursday 11th, 7, um, 5.30 to 7.30 in the evening. And again in Melbourne on Friday the 12th of May, 10 till 12.30. And there's a number of numbers listed here. So it's a, you know, it's a clearly these things are, are happening, but you unfortunately on on intersections have been through this very difficult situation yourself? Yeah, so I went through um, domestic violence um, with a, another man, obviously, mm-hmm. as a gay man. Um, and I guess um, men don't feel really comfortable in talking about it. I've been, um, like I've done a lot of work with um, Blackfellow Rights um, in the past as well. Um, so, you know, um, I've been in, lucky enough to be involved in some of the yarning circles. And um, ACOS done the voice, so we done um, a meeting and a video just to send through to the state government. Um, and one of the things was was just creating safe spaces, um, wearing the rainbow pins, especially out in re- remote and re- regional mm. areas, um, for government agencies, so people can feel comfortable to say, "Hey, I am queer," in whatever whatever part of the spectrum you fall under. Yep. Um, but also to um, Having a space where people can just go and talk. So, like, um, I know in uh, there's a, a town close to here called Stool, um, and they they've got like a a UOK bench, um, and it's painted rainbow, and it's a table where you can just go sit down. And if someone's sitting down there, you can go and talk to them, um, because there isn't that much services out here. So we do need services in remote and regional areas. Mm. Um, we do we need them in the inner city suburbs, um, but also too training in existing organizations um i know when i first um went came out with my domestic violence and i went and sought help i went to um CAFS, um and that's community um something something family services mm-hmm. um and they that when they realized i was a victim they said they couldn't help me because if i went to the support group um because i was wasn't a woman i would intimidate the women and because if I went to the male one it was mainly perpetrators and that could trigger me mm. so yeah generating the awareness in there and um there's a lot of retraining needs to be done oh yeah um, I, even though within detox centers the detox center I went to there's um a lot of cultural appropriation for indigenous communities that needs to be um brought into the training um and existing staff members kind of could go through some retraining um, and with the LGBTIQ community, um, just the language people use and the need for truthfulness, awareness and understanding. Um, so having access, letting people know that you're welcome. Like yesterday I went to um, a town and on Woolworths they've got um, the rainbow and transgender flag and said, you're welcome here, um, which isn't something that's everywhere here. And I thought that was really cool, but wouldn't, wouldn't that be really good at CAFs or um, somewhere risk where or different services where they provide already services to family violence victims or perpetrators because let's be honest perpetrators are people too and they've got issues that needs to be worked on because they're still people um they need to be helped as well into breaking that cycle if we want to break the cycle we've got to work with the victims but we've got to work with the perpetrators and i know the criminal system is overloaded with a lot of stuff which is, yes, people do need to be held accountable, but prevention is always better than a cure. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, unfortunately, we there's a few things coming out of your you know, your thoughts thus far. First of all, look, as someone who does um, LGBTIQA plus training of various forms, including in family violence, the heteronormative, cis-normative um, sort of lens is there now. Yes, the vast majority of family violence is cisgender, heterosexual, what I'll call an element, the element of badly behaved, cishet men perpetrating onto cishet women. Um, but, it, you know, anyone can be a victim, anyone can be a perpetrator. And when, you know, people like yourself are falling through, fell through the cracks, so to speak, 
that's disastrous because it's not help you know it's not helping doing that prevention we're not learning and you know we need you know we need that person centered care so I totally agree with you um on that um so yeah totally agree on the need for training um and there was something else that came out of your your comments there that was also equally relevant but um you know you'd been through this um difficult um stuff and it, i'm you know i'm not I'll say someone with I'm not someone with lived expertise of intimate partner violence, although I've experienced lots of horrible stuff, but it's not I know enough to know that it's not easy to break out of that cycle and where you're at where you're at if you are in an intimate partner relationship and on the receiving end. Yeah, and because when you're actually in that situation and it's an intimate partner violence, um, you actually really love that person and mm. you really you want it to be better. And so like I remember sitting in a courthouse um, numerous times with charges being laid and um, him pleading um, not guilty or guilty without admission of guilt or something like that. And I remember sitting at the Neighbourhood Justice Centre in Fitzroy, actually, and I remember s- sitting there and the judge looking at me because I've been in there so many times. And he just and now I feel like a fool sitting there doing it. But if the court hadn't have just given a CCO and, a, and they had have said, okay, let's go and mandated um, some prevention and some stuff from the perpetrator, there could have been a lot of difference made then. Um, and if they had have referred me on to someone, if there had been a service available for me to go to at the court, they could have referred on at that stage as well. Because now I know, because I never actually rang the police myself, and I know that um, neighbours always called the police, but uh, I know now you can't actually drop domestic violence charges. So you have to go to court. So instead of just um, slapping someone with um, a good behaviour bond or jail time or something like that, there should be some programs. There should be help offered. There should be someone to call up and, you know, like really reiterate. And even if it has to be mandated, if people aren't wanting to do it. But um, you can't really – like I was living with a partner and we had there was AVOs put on, on – my partner for me, um, to, so he couldn't do nothing to me. I wasn't supposed to be in the same house, but yet public housing gave us a house together. Um, you know, so there was like, if it wasn't for Father Bob, um, when I was actually kicked out of the house or um, there was violence going on, he'd let me stay in the community centre and I had to say rest in peace to him. Mm, but um, absolutely. yeah, but yeah, but if it wasn't for um, him and, um, uh, the lady who was actually helping him, I wouldn't have had nowhere to go. But and then, like I was in put into St Vincent Hospitals a lot of time, and Aboriginal liaison officer worker should come and see me, and she'd be like, "Oh, what's going on?" And she'd see me so many times. And I remember when I was um, invited to the Governor's General's House of Victoria for the Ida yep. um, International Day Against Homophobia. Um, I think you were there. Yes. Um, yeah, um, so I remember I actually bumped into her and she goes, I can't believe that you're out of it. And she was so happy for me. And, like, that that kind of was a good feeling. Like, okay, yeah, because she, she saw me every couple of weeks going in there. And when she would send me home, she'd be like, you're not going back, are you? I'll be like, no. Nah. And, you know, I'll go back. And because really, like, when you're in family violence, you get cut off from yes. your social your social interactions with people, you get cut off from your family. Um, like I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a wallet. Um, at one stage, I wasn't allowed to leave the house for a bit. Um, and I was even put into hospital. It had to have major operation from scar tissue that formed a, a band around my low intestines and kidney uh, from being kicked in the stomach too much. And so I had my stomach cut from my belly button to my um, pubic bone. And they ripped open my abs and that. I remember waking up from the surgery and they showed me a picture of all my organs and it made me spew. I'm like, I don't, they wanted to me account that they're all back in there. But, um, you know, so, but even after that, because the doctors told us that that's what it was from, he didn't like that. So I discharged myself early because he had an argument with the doctor and he didn't want me to stay there um, because it was putting bad things in my head. And then when I got home, they gave me pain medication and the pain medication was very strong. And so I was actually physically sick from it. And I said, oh, I don't like that. And so he thought, okay, then I don't like it. So he actually took my tablets. So I actually got through that from um, 
Panadol and Nurofen. And actually, I had stitches still in my stomach when the next occasion of violence happened. And he kicked me right in the stomach with the stitches in that open. So, um, you know, and I still went back because, and that was like my friends were his friends and my family was his family because mm. I couldn't speak to my family, I couldn't speak to my friends. So I was isolated completely. Yeah. And yeah, <clears throat> I had to try to, when I, when I decided to leave, because I opened a shop in Berlin just outside of Ballarat. Yeah. And it got to the point where I was actually hit with the chair, poured with gasoline and tried to be, he tried to chuck me into the fire. And so, um, and he actually, yeah, so I won't go into it the other bits because it might trigger some people, but um, if that doesn't, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I will, I will just pause there and mention once again, one eight hundred one eight four five two seven for Q Life, one eight hundred five four two eight four seven for Queer Supportive Family Violence and Rainbow Door, one eight hundred. Seven two nine three six seven. People, please reach out for assistance if you need it. These are difficult conversations. They need to be had. We need to <clears throat> get things into the open. <clears throat> excuse me, so people can reach out for that support and get it and <clears throat> get back to their life. But you know, you certainly have been through the ringer, Kobe. Because I was going to say, I remember the person who sat in this very studio, you know, ten or twelve years ago and was just so confident, mm-hmm. and yet you went through this, well, hell. Um, and Yeah, you know, and you know what? Like, and because I was so involved in all these um, campaigns and lobbying and stuff, as I said to you, I felt like I couldn't speak out because I thought I was going to harm mm. the queer community. I thought I was going to harm the mental health work that was being done. And, like, you would never have known it, would you? No, you don't. We don't that, know what's going on. I think there is... It also brings in another issue, which I think is the lack of support for prominent people in queer communities, that we're almost expected to be perfect um, in one sense, but also that we can't show any vulnerability because our communities are perhaps looking up to us and we need that support. But um, where, do we, where do we get it? Is, um, and I'm perhaps bridging the personal in with your story there, but I think it has yeah. to be spoken about. Um, so Definitely, and like um like I said, um people who are in prominent positions, I know for a fact I know a lot of people who are prominent in the queer community and I know that a lot of them have their own issues and we speak um regularly on Facebook or on the phone and we speak amongst ourselves, but a lot of people they don't feel comfortable in coming and saying it publicly because there is that expectation of being perfect. But um and there is like I I guess this might sound a bit uh a bit crude or not crude, but I think when you're actually in a prominent position in a queer community, you feel like you're owned a bit. Mm. Um, there's like a sense of ownership. There's a sense of ownership. And um, so if you expand to other areas, people are like, why are you going out there and doing that? Well, actually it does. Affect, it's because we are affected by things as well. And we're affected by being in the media. Don't forget we get um, like when Equal Love first started, and there was not much momentum and it was basically people were saying, oh, you're wasting your time. Mm. Um, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of backlash from people. When I took it back to Ballarat, like I said, I was attacked with <clears> uh, someone could come out with a tire iron when they realised who I was because mm. I didn't um, identify with their cultural background. And um, I didn't even put that out there in the public because – and a lot of a lot of um, – when I try, actually tried to put it out there in the public, actually a lot of the queer media didn't want to put it in there and a lot of the organisations didn't want to mention it because they didn't want to put a bad spin on it. Yep. But um, so that, that kind of like makes you think, okay, all right, I'm going to harm the issue, so I'm not going to talk about it. But we are, we're, we're still people and we might be doing stuff and but you you and you never know what people are experiencing. But you know who's going through something right now? Literally everyone. As you said, yep, yeah, Kobe. We're just we're coming towards the end of the show. I mean, there's just so much to unpack here. And I mean, listening to your mm. other podcasts and you know talks that you've done, people keep saying we need to do another podcast. Yeah. But I do want to, without you know, total. I'll say that I you know totally affirm the difficult journeys you've been through but you know you've as I say you've you know the sausage has come out the other end of the machine 
Where is life at now? Yeah, I'm, I'm a better person for it. I'm a better person for it. Yeah. Um, like I said, as if you learn, if you if you make mistakes, if you are going through hard times, I learned more from my failures and the hard times than I did when I was succeeding. Um, and if you're learning, that means you're growing and that means you're living. And like I said, I'm glad I'm, I woke up today. And I really want everyone to go out and get a gratitude diary yep. and try to list something, five things every day that they're grateful for. And you know what? You might have less some days. You might have yeah. more. But ev eventually, you'll consciously start finding that you're looking for something that's positive and you won't be focusing on negative things. You won't be focusing on what's out there that's negative. And then when, even in my journal, it used to be, dear diary, oh, this happened to me today. Woe pity me. And now it's more more positive. And the law of attraction says what you look for, you're going to get. So I just encourage everyone, just be grateful. And also, too, be, be kind to yourself. Don't rely on anyone else to be kind for you. But be strong. And if you're not strong, people like us will be strong for you until you are. because And find someone that you can talk to so they can be strong for you. Yep. Absolutely so. Um, you know, I think we should do another one. I think we're going to have to at some point, um, you know, sort of because there is so much to discuss that we, you know, we could have um, touched on. Um, you know, we've got about five minutes of um, time left. I do I just want to give a quick mention. If people are listening to 3CR as they are heading towards Trades Hall for the May Day Rally, a big woohoo to you um, as you head down there. Um, it was interesting on the little May Day snakes and ladders design by um, that we got. Um, to promote this, um, there is talk of improved services and care, increased funding for aged and health care. Yep, definitely all, all those things amongst many others. Um, but, um, Kobe, you know, where, you know, I mean, you're in the present now. What what are you doing? And, you know, do you have any new new goals in any area, any way? Um, you know, what's, um, where where does, you know, we, you know, if in an ideal world where, you know, um, we all want to, keep improving as you say and that can be pulling back from difficult stuff to get to a better place but then getting to a really better place what would you like to do what what would you like where would you like to be well now i'm uh, out of all that um past all the um i've done all my cancelling psychiatrists and i've had time to reflect upon that um, now i want i want to actually kick start off i've started gender diverse domestic violence awareness australia and support um so I'm actually just waiting for my certificates to start doing stuff. I'm working with a case manager um, and a nurse on a support group um, online, but kicking off Gender Diverse Support Australia is number one. Um, and also to, like I said, I was, I'm now a new member of the Grampians Community Health Advisory Board and also looking at going into peer support so, yeah, and I want to be an advocate still. Like, I'm still an advocate at heart. Like, like I said, I'm a bull at a gate, and <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got a lot of experience. And, like, I actually want, want to make people feel like they're worth it. And I want to make, let people know that they are worth it. And I want people to know that there is help. And if there isn't, let's make it. Yep. Look, absolutely. So, look, I, I've had been jotting a few notes, um, you know, as things have come up. Um, which I'm going to take away with me, um, you know, and I do definitely send in that wheel of emotions. I'm not sure I've seen that one, and I think that's that's really given me a bit of a hmm light bulb sort of moment. So I'm yeah. sure it will give our uh, listeners and um, others a you know a boost. So I'm going to put links and things into our podcast um, of the show. Yeah, which and uh, if you want to share that domestic violence video too, I think that might be helpful. Yeah, um, but I will say there is a trigger warning on there as well. Yep. Because it is confronting. Well, we do dig deeper. And like I said, we kind of scratch the surface. I could talk about it all day, but Jesus would, would return before we finish. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and we do have to get the Fab Crew from Freedom of Species in to talk animal advocacy at um, 1 o'clock, rotations at 2, and um, queering the air at um, 3. Um, so we've definitely got um, all of the the, th the shows on 3CR. We can't quite do it. Um, but there is so much to talk about. And is 
I think it's important we talk about the things as you say, um, Family Violence Awareness Month, uh, Mental Health Awareness, and we are in Ida Hobbit Month, so it all sort of comes together. Um, These these are the things that we need to talk about. We need to talk about the the challenging stuff as well as celebrating moments. And one moment I do want to um, celebrate, not so much your story, we have all councils in Victoria flying some sort of rainbow flag on Ida Hobbit Day this year, which is a major achievement. Well done to all the councils and also to um, those involved in queer and local government, particularly Sean Mulcahy, who I know has pushed this really hard. Yeah, and it grass. shows Victoria is trying. And I can I actually want to share, I can remember the first time Ballarat Council flew the flag. I actually got photos of me. I was the first person to raise the flag ah, up with the then mayor, Linda Coates. Yeah, so um, and I was really proud then because a school where um, I was actually – had a, had a fight when someone was being homophobic to me and I fought back. Um, they wanted me to leave because I was inciting violence. Um, but that day, that day, my, that school flew the rainbow flag. So, you know, there is change happening and, like I said, make it. And, again, I just want to say you're worth it. Absolutely. We'd better leave it there, Kobe. Uh, Kobe, hang on a sec while I just wind down the show and get the last track going. Um, thanks so much for your for your time um freedom of species coming up next and um next week i'll be um chatting with laura mclean um which will sort of um you know sort of have some bounce offs off um um, um, a bit of kobe's life um so tune in for that one everyone um take it out today we opened up today with appropriately with becky cole and life goes on which i felt was an appropriate choice and I've got to take it out today, though, um, as a tribute. We lost one of Australia's great musical talents during the week, um, Broderick Smith of many bands, Carson, Dingo's Big Combo and many other things. Um, and so I wanted to take it out today with a classic track from Broderick Smith from the Big Combo album of the late 1970s. The track's called My Father's Hands, but it's probably best known for Lucky to Be an Australian, um, that tagline. So I'm going to go out with that one. Kobe, thanks again for your time. Um, Just hang on a sec while I get the track rolling and we'll just finish it up. Um, In the meantime, everyone, thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. for
get your feet. 